I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode number 64. Happy New Year. 2020 is already here, and this is the third day of the year. It's amazing how quickly time flies. Um, and so wishing everyone a very, very happy new year indeed, and a very prosperous, safe, and hopefully a financially successful new year. And if you're new to this podcast channel, then this is a great year to get started to learn about your own personal finances, some of the basic topics. So go back and have a listen to some of the earlier episodes. Also, hopefully all of you had a very wonderful Christmas period um, and certainly for me, it's been an extremely busy time over the last couple of weeks, uh, just in terms of work, um, you know, the, the workload and the, um, hours of work has just increased phenomenally over the last couple of weeks, but, um, it just hasn't stopped. But of course, if you like your work, then that's not really a major problem. Now, in this episode, um, I thought I'd discuss at the key concepts of capital gains and capital losses, how they differ and what tax implications they may have on your investments and retirement strategy. Um, so as you know, you're welcome to subscribe to this channel on castbox.fm app, which is for Android and Apple. Uh, it's also available on Spotify or Google Podcast, just search for Devraga Personal Finance. You can subscribe to my Facebook page, which is also called Devraga Personal Finance. It should be public viewing. Um, or you can contact me for questions or comments and feedback about episodes. I'm always looking for new topics to discuss. And thank you to all of those that have been doing this over the last few weeks as well since the last episode. Now, speaking of the last episode, um, my last episode, which was episode 63, was about fees. It was called Fees, Fees, Fees Part 2. I've had quite a few people contact me who've gone and checked their statements after listening to that episode um, and the statements regarding investments, not just superannuation. And they have also noted the exact same issue. That is, I quote, ongoing advice fees being charged where basically they have felt that they haven't been receiving any advice at all. So if you've listened to my podcast, I think you should Google this concept of ongoing advice fees. Um, and, um, you know, people have contacted me uh, to sort of say, yeah, look, they've been getting charged that money. And they feel that it's basically, um, you know, not warranted. So they are in the process of contacting their um, investment managers to sort of ask them why they've been charged the ongoing advice fees when no advice has been given. So make sure you check your statements and contact your investment professional to find out what fees they are and why you're being charged the fees because ultimately this is your money. So, um, you know, using an analogy, if you were to go shopping and didn't buy anything but just had to pay a fee to do that, then you wouldn't do it. 
So why do it with your investments? You've got to be a bit more savvy, so make sure you check your statements, please. As you know, the aim of this podcast channel is to learn about personal finance. In my view, there are five basic steps you can take today in order to have a stable retirement, build wealth over the future, and slowly over the long term. Step one, always pay yourself. Um, You know, I sort of say after-tax money of 20% should be put away and paid to yourself. What does that mean? It just means you pay it um, into an investment um, account, and that's your money. That is your salary, your wage that you're taking a percentage of and just paying yourself for trying to you know, make sure that you're financially secure in the future. Um, and you just invest it. Step two is just investing it in a well-diversified portfolio, which you understand, whether it be property, shares, bonds, index funds, etc. But you need to invest in things that you understand. If you don't understand cryptocurrency, don't invest in cryptocurrency. I don't understand cryptocurrency, so I don't invest in that. So I only invest in things that I understand. Step number three is, as part of your investment, you will get dividends, um, some sort of return on investment. And make sure you don't you know, cash out that return. Make sure you reinvest it into the portfolio and do it and repeat it and automate it. You know, most share portfolios have dividend reinvestment plans. Most index funds and ETFs have dividend reinvestment plans. Always check that option. It's usually the default option when you sign up to it. But you've got to make sure that option exists. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, then ask your investment professional because they should be telling you this. Step number four, always invest for the long term. In my view, you should be investing for at least 20, 30, 40, if not 50 years if you can. Now, if you're a 24-year-old who's just graduated from university and, you know, you've just, you know, majored in engineering or something like that, you've got 40 years of investing life. You've actually got 50 years of investing life in your career. That's a very long time to harness the power of compounding. Um, so don't underestimate that. Start early and go slow, and do it for the long term. It's absolutely critical. And step number five, my favorite, is always automate the process. So there's less chance of missing investment contributions that way, so you have a very much a set and forget attitude. So automatically when you get paid, 20% of that goes into the well-diversified portfolio. Automatically that happens every paycheck, and automatically the dividends get reinvested. And because you've automated it, you're less likely to miss it, and you're more likely to continue on it for the very long term. Now, if you did that, and these are very basic steps, you're likely to retire with more wealth than what you can possibly imagine. With wealth comes responsibility. Money is just a tool. It's not going to bring you happiness, but allows you to better your life, but more importantly, better the lives of people around you. Now for the main topic. In today's episode, we'll be discussing capital gains and capital losses, which was spurred by a question from a listener who asked me, supposing I buy shares for $10,000 today, and after five years, its value is $50,000, does that mean I need to pay tax on the $40,000 increase in value? Well, the short answer is yes, but only if you trigger a capital gains tax event by selling it. But let's get into the nitty-gritties. So what is capital gains? This is when you purchase an asset 
and it rises in value. It makes complete sense. You want to be able to purchase assets and you want to be able to make sure that the value of that asset increases over time. Now, the rise in value can happen over a long time, any length of time, six months, 12 months, 10 years, 12 years, 30 years, whatever it is. But the actual gain is not realized until you sell the asset. Realization of a gain just means that, you know, you've got money in your hand as a result of selling that asset. This is really important to understand because a lot of people forget this and think they need to pay tax on any capital gains during the time of ownership of the asset, regardless of whether you sell it or not. And the answer is no, you don't pay any tax until you sell the asset. That is called realization of your capital gain. So what assets does capital gains apply to? Well, basically any asset. It can be homes, properties, commercial or business, managed funds, shares, gold, antiques. It doesn't matter. Any asset that you invest in can have a capital gain. So therefore, what is capital loss then? Well, that is when you buy an asset and over time it decreases in value. And hopefully you don't buy assets that decrease in value but this can happen over time and you need to know the concept of capital losses. And again, the decrease in value can happen over any length of time, short or the long term. Um, but again, the capital loss here is not realized until you sell the asset. That's really, really critical to understand. And we're going to be talking more about capital losses later on in this episode. So let's just wait until that time to sort of, you know, consolidate our knowledge but let's talk about um, you know, capital gains using an example. So supposing you bought shares in 2009 when it was quite low and you know everything was crashing um, and you bought shares for about $10,000. You are now ready to sell it because the ASX is hitting an all-time high. And we all know the ASX has done, done beautifully in the last you know, 12 months or so. I think it had a raise of about to 31%, including dividends. I mean, I mean, it'd be pretty hard to beat that on a concurrent, you know, sort of recurrent basis, but 31% is nothing to sneeze at. And supposing, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of making these numbers up, but supposing you want to sell the $10,000 worth of shares, it's doubled in value, and now it's worth $20,000. Okay, so these figures are made up, so bear with me. So you end up selling it for twenty grand. So your capital gain is the sale price, which was twenty thousand, minus the purchase price, which was ten thousand dollars. So therefore, the capital gain is twenty thousand minus ten thousand equals ten thousand dollars. Right now, for the purposes of this podcast or for this particular example, let's just ignore any selling costs because it just complicates things. So your profit of selling that asset of shares is ten grand. That is your profit from the sale of the shares. So that is your capital gain. So is capital gain, particularly if you buy assets for investment purposes, is it tax-free? And the answer is no. Okay. So capital gains tax applies to the profit that you've made in this particular setting because you've bought shares for investment. Okay. It is not for personal use. So using the same example, the $10,000 in profit you've made gets added to your overall income, okay? So supposing your taxable income is $100,000 per year, 
Now your new taxable income is $110,000 per year because that's your capital gain from the sale of those shares. And you have triggered by selling the shares what's called a capital gains tax event. Okay, you need to understand that concept. We're going to come back to it right at the end of the episode to consolidate. So then what happens is your marginal tax rate applies to this new taxable income. Now, this is not entirely true. Again, we're going to discuss a slight variation a bit later because in Australia we have what's called a 12-month rule and you get a you know discount, etc. But essentially, the 10 grand of money that you've made gets added to your annual income um, a taxable income, that is, and you pay tax on that $10,000, whatever the same tax that you would pay for your marginal tax rate, okay? Now, remember, if you're, you know, making a profit and if you're basically um, uh, in a particular tax bracket, then if you have a capital gains event by selling a big home and you've made a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera, then what can happen is that your marginal tax bracket can actually be significantly elevated as a result of the capital gains. So supposing you, rather than making $10,000, you made $100,000, and all of a sudden now your income has gone from $100,000 to $200,000, and therefore your marginal tax rate has significantly increased from you know maybe 30% to something like 40%, okay? So there you pay a lot more tax because of that capital gains event that you've now triggered. Okay. Now, the other thing is tax is not withheld for any capital gain sales after the sale. Okay. So when you make that, you know, $10,000 profit that you've just made on the share market, the ATO doesn't take the money at the time of the sale and take their cut and then give you the after-tax profits. They just give you the profits. Therefore, it is your responsibility to work this out, that is work out the capital gains, and then set aside sufficient funds to pay the extra tax come tax time. This is what a lot of people forget to do. They spend the money and then they worry when the ATO comes asking for their piece of the pie. In fact, this is actually quite a common problem in sole traders, particularly in the field of medicine, because remember, most doctors are not in the public service. Most of them are in private practice and they're entitled to charge what they want and they're entitled to, you know, be sole traders and they get, you know, before tax money, they get gross income and they've got to allocate and they've got to calculate their marginal tax rate, uh, you know, every quarter. And they need to put aside money. Now, if you get a capital gains event on top of that, you need to make sure that you calculate what your marginal tax rate is going to be for that capital gains, uh, you know, event. So that way you have enough money to pay the taxation on it. Otherwise, you'll be in dire, dire straits. So I guess when did this capital gains tax uh, situation start in Australia. Well, the, historically, I looked it up, and it looks like it's some sort of an arbitrary date of 20th of September 1985 is basically when the capital gains tax process started. So any asset you acquired after this tax, uh, sorry, after this date, beg your pardon, means that the capital gains tax applies. Um, so, but there are some exemptions. You need to know what exemptions uh, apply to your capital gains. So, yes, the exemptions are for items which are of personal gain or personal value. So, for example, your home, your car, your personal assets like furniture, etc. Now, there are some nitty-gritty rules about this, um, but uh, in, in essentially, your personal home, your personal car, and your furniture, if you sell it for a profit, then there is no taxation on that profit, okay? So, 
um, the capital gains tax doesn't apply for anything that you earn personally, particularly homes, cars, and personal furniture. Capital gains tax also doesn't apply for depreciating assets for your business, so like furniture, car fittings, um, and fittings for your rental property, anything that you may have bought solely for taxable purposes for investment. So that's really important to note as well. So if you wanted to sell your own home, you won't be paying any capital gains tax on the profits. And this is likely, I think, because the government assumes you need to sell your own home and use that profits to buy another home. Um, That way you can use your profits to upgrade your home. Okay, so I'm not sure what the legislation is overseas in countries like the United States and Canada, but in Australia for personal home sales, you're not liable to pay any tax at all. So you could have bought a home for 100 grand and sell it for $2 million. You make a $1.9 million profit. That is all yours to keep. So I guess the question is now, when does the tax event occur? Is it at the time of disposal of your asset or is it at the time of settlement? Now, of course, this is very relevant for buying homes because you buy the home at point one or sell the home at point one, but then the settlement can sometimes happen 30, 60, 90, 120 days um, later on the same year or the next year. So when does the uh, tax event occur? So let me give you an example. Supposing you sold the shares on June the 30th of this financial year, but the settlement didn't happen until July the 1st next financial year, Even though the settlement happened in a different financial year, your tax liability will be counted from the day of disposal, which is this financial year, which is the day you sold it. So in this case, the same financial year the asset was disposed of will be the, um, you know, your tax returns on that year has to feature this capital gain. Okay, this is very important for tax planning. So for example, if you wanted to dispose of an asset, it's worthwhile to wait until the time the new financial year kicks in, especially if you think your marginal tax rates will be much lower the following financial year compared to the current financial year. This is also very true for businesses and sole traders who have variable income. Okay, So just remember that the time of disposal is the time that you need to declare it in your tax return, not the time of settlement. Okay, So in summary, in basic summary, when you buy an asset, and it increases in value, and you sell it for a profit, your capital gain is the difference between the sale price and buy price, uh, less any costs, of course, and this is then referred to as a capital gains tax event. Now, remember that concept, because I'm going to come back to it a bit later in the podcast. So, the capital gain tax event has not been triggered until you sell the asset that you've bought, okay? So, until you sell it, it doesn't really matter, Now, moving on, the next concept you need to understand about capital gains is what's called as the 12-month rule. So what is the 12-month rule? It's basically a rule for owning assets. Um, So, And that states that if you have owned an asset for greater than 12 months, then you get a capital gains tax discount. Okay? So let's use an example. If you buy an asset and sell it for a profit within the 12 months of ownership, so you've owned it for less than 12 months, the profit you have made, that is a capital gain, is simply added to your overall income and marginal tax rates apply. So you don't get any discounts or any indexation. Okay. So basically you pay tax on the whole of the capital gain that you've gained. But if you buy an asset and sell it after 12 months of ownership, 
Then there are two different methods of calculating your capital gain, and it's your responsibility to use whichever method is suitable for you to calculate your capital gains. And this is where it gets a bit complicated, so let's go through that. The first method is called the discount method, and the second method is called the indexation method. And basically, you can choose the method which best suits you, that is, the one that produces the lowest capital gains tax, because it'd be foolish to choose any other method. You can choose whichever method you want which lowers your capital gains tax. Okay, but you've got to be owning the asset for greater than 12 months. Now, your accountant should be sorting out all this, but I think it's important for you to understand that. So, um, and, and, and this is something that I haven't, you know, fully grasped until someone actually asked me this question, and I did a fair bit of research on it. So now I've sort of learned a lot about it, so I kind of feel that I understand it enough to be able to do a podcast on it. So if you don't know what capital gains is, go up, read about it after this podcast, but hopefully this is just a basic concept, okay? So out of the two methods, what is the discount method? So let's let's use an example here. If you sold an asset held for greater than 12 months and made a capital gain of $100,000, then this rule states that you get a 50% discount on your capital gain. So your capital gain is reduced by 50%. So in this case, your 100K capital gain becomes $50,000 and this gets added to your income and you pay tax based on your marginal tax rates, okay? Now, this is where, if you go back to the last election, Labor kind of got into trouble without getting too political on this podcast. You, you may have noticed I don't like to talk about politics, but essentially this is where Labor got into trouble during the last election because they wanted to touch this policy and they wanted to reduce this discount by 25%. So rather than giving you a capital gains tax discount of 50%, they wanted to reduce it to 25%. In other words, under Labor's proposal, you would pay 75% of the capital gains achieved will be taxable. Whereas the current system allows you to have that 50% discount. Hopefully I haven't complicated anyone, but, but that's basically the discount method. The indexation method, on the other hand, is only eligible for assets acquired before 11.45 a.m. ACT time on the 21st of September 1999, this just seems so arbitrary, but anyway, that's the rule. Must be held for greater than 12 months as well. What does that mean? It just means, in quotations, what would the asset have been worth in today's money? You apply a multiplier for the cost base of the asset, therefore increasing your initial purchase price, and therefore potentially reducing your capital gain, and therefore reducing your capital gains tax. This is because, remember, money and value is inversely proportional. Money loses value due to inflation. So report, uh, I've sort of talked about this extensively in episode 27 in this series of podcasts where I discuss inflation as a concept more in depth, okay? So money loses value over time. So in some situation, an indexation method of calculating your capital gains might be far more beneficial. But, but... There is a catch for the indexation method, and that is that you can only index it up to 30th of September 1999. That's the last date that you can index the value up to, because, <coughs> beg your pardon, because otherwise your you know purchase price, your indexation will be significantly higher when you um, uh, apply inflation to it. Okay, 
as inflation will have a major effect on your initial cost base. And of course, you know, otherwise people just won't pay any capital gains, right? <coughs> I beg your pardon, I've got a bit of a tickle in my throat. So let's use an example here, okay? So suppose you bought shares in 1970 in the ASX for $1,000. Now, I'm just using values left, right, and center. These are not accurate values, okay? Using the indexation method, you can price adjust the cost base until 30th of September, 1999. And say, on this date, the cost base of my shares of $1,000 would have been, let's say, 10 grand. Now, if you want to sell those shares, they're now worth $50,000, okay? And again, I'm making these numbers up, so just to, just to make the concepts more clearer. Let's see how capital gains tax would work using both strategies, the discount method and the indexation method, okay? So supposing, you know, so, so basically you bought shares for $10,000, now it's worth 50 grand. Let's use the discount method and see how much tax we may have to pay. So it's now worth 50 grand minus $1,000, which is the cost base. So you've made a profit of $49,000. You apply the 50% discount on that, means the taxation only applies to $24,500, which is 49,000 divided by two. And if your marginal tax rate is, say, 30%, then you will pay 30% of that profit, which is 24.5, which is roughly around $7,350 on the profit, okay? So you've made a profit of about 49K and your taxation is $7,350. Using the indexation method, let's do that calculation again, you would go $50,000 minus $10,000 because remember indexation, the $1,000 cost base goes up to $10,000 on the 30th of September 1999 because that's inflation adjusted cost base as of the 30th of September, um, which means 50K minus 10K is 40K. That is your profit. There is no discount. You can't apply the capital gains discount to this and therefore 30% has to be paid to tax, which is 12K. In other words, your marginal tax rate, which is still 30%, has to be paid uh, as taxation. Therefore, in this case, using the CGT method results in the lower taxation. Therefore, it would be best to use this method when it comes to tax time. It is completely legitimate to use the method that best suits your tax uh, taxation uh, position. Okay, You don't need to choose one or the other, just choose the best one. Now, that's capital gains. That is how capital gains taxation works. Uh, you've got the 12-month rule, you've got the indexation, and you've got the discount method for calculating. I'm keeping it as very simple as possible. If you go to the ATO's website, it just goes into super detail about all this. Now, let's talk a little bit about capital loss because I think that's important, and let's tie it together to capital gains as the episode draws to a close. Now, just like capital gains, capital losses is when you buy an asset and it loses value over a period of time. Now, we've briefly discussed this before, but you need to work out your capital losses, okay? So in previous examples, we haven't taken into account costs for purchase, costs for sale, you know, which need to be taken into account for during the sale of the assets too, and this further reduces your capital gains, okay? But to work out your capital loss, you need to work out your reduced cost base, and to work out your reduced cost base, you need to work out each element associated with owning the asset, okay? And when we talk about elements, there are five elements. The first element is the money paid to acquire the asset. You know, what is your cost base? The second element is the costs incurred to acquire the asset. 
So, for example, if you're buying a home, the cost of a transfer, stamp duty, brokerage, surveyor of building property, fees related to searching of title, any advice fees if shares and financial instruments are involved, etc. Make sure you keep records of all of these as much as possible because that is your element two. That is your cost incurred to acquire the asset. Element three is costs of owning the asset. So when you own an investment property, for example, the rates, the land taxes, the management fees, the real estate fees, etc. The management fees for index funds is another one. Insurance premiums for property, that's another one. Building insurance, etc. You know, that is element three. That is the cost of owning the asset. Element four is cost to preserve or improve or increase the value of your asset. So if you add a new bathroom or a new kitchen, that is a cost that you've incurred to improve the value of your asset. So that is element number four. And lastly, element five is the costs associated with preserving your asset. For example, if you execute a call on your shares, we've discussed put options and call options in previous episodes and derivatives in episode 56. So that is element five, the cost associated with preserving your asset. You need to work out each element and add them up. Go from element one to element five. So let's let's work this out on a real life example. So supposing you bought a home for $100,000 in 2009. Now that is not realistic. Never happened in Australia because in 2009, average property prices were around 400,000 nationally, but let's use an unrealistic example to highlight a point. So, and you sold the home in 2019 for $50,000. Okay, you've made a $50,000 loss. Again, not happening in Australia because our property market is absolutely booming. During the ownership of the home, you claim losses and other deductions totaling $25,000. Because remember, you know, you can you add up all the elements of capital losses and this is the losses that you've incurred. Therefore, your reduced cost base now becomes $100,000, which is the purchase price, less $25,000, which is already claimed deductions. So your reduced cost basis is around 75000 You then sold it for $50,000. Therefore, your capital loss is 75k minus 50k. Notice it's not 100 minus 50k. In other words, you can't say you bought it for 100k and sold it for 50k. Therefore, your capital loss is 50000 You need to work out your reduced cost base based on the elements. And this is where deductions already claimed came into effect. You can't double claim. Then the next concept I need you to understand is working out your net capital gain and or loss during tax returns. So basically, you need to look at all of the assets that you own. You need to look at each of these assets which you've sold um, and therefore which therefore triggers a capital gain or a capital loss event. And for each of these gains or losses, you need to work out your taxation. So let's use an example. Supposing all of your sale of your assets, you think you've made a net capital gain, then the formula becomes quite simple. The total capital gain for the year, including dividends, distributions from managed funds, sale of property and all assets, minus the total losses using the element system we discussed before and working out your reduced cost base, minus any capital gains tax discount eligibility or the way that you calculate indexation and taxation. Okay, This is called your net capital gains. That's just the basic formula. If you think you made a net capital loss, it's basically total capital losses minus total capital gains during the same period of time. It's the same principles. Now, note in this case, though, if you made a net capital loss, you can't offset that net capital loss against your income. 
So if you had a net capital loss of $50,000 and your net income is $100,000, you can't say, oh, I want to offset against the income, therefore I only pay $50,000 in uh, you know, worth of um, uh, income and therefore I'm going to calculate my taxation based on that. You still need to pay tax on the hundred grand, but what you can do is, you know, then, then the obvious question is, what's the point of having a net capital loss calculation? Well, the point is to carry it forward to future years when you anticipate a net capital gain. And there is no limit in how long you can carry it forward. So even though you can't offset the net capital loss against your current income, you can offset your net capital loss against future net capital gains. When in the future? Anytime in the future. That's the beauty of it, okay? So let's use an example to see how this would look like. Supposing you have a net capital loss of $100,000 for the past 10 years, then you had a great year in the share market in 2019, as did everyone else who invested in the index funds, and you made $100,000 in capital gains in 2019 in shares when you sold them, okay? This means that because you've had 100K of capital loss in the past 10 years, you can offset your losses against your gains, okay? Even though the losses have been cumulative over the past 10 years, and therefore you pay no capital gains taxation on the $100,000 gained in 2019, Hopefully that's crystal clear. That is the point of capital losses. And really, if you play your cards well, then you can offset your capital losses against any future capital gains because hopefully you will have you know, capital gains in the future. But the aim here, people, is to have more capital gains than capital losses. Now, when you have a capital gain, that means you've made money. That is a good thing. That is not a bad thing at all. Now, just a bit of a disclaimer what I've primarily discussed in this episode is for individuals and not for super funds, SMSFs, or companies, okay? Companies don't get a capital gains taxation discount, and superannuations get a 33.3% discount, not the whole 50% discount that individuals get. So, that's about it for this episode, and thanks very much for listening. We've covered a lot of accounting sort of concepts in this episode, capital gains and capital losses, it does take a little bit of time to understand it. I knew what capital gains was before this episode, but I didn't know the discounting method. I didn't know the indexation. I didn't know, uh, you know, how to calculate capital losses properly. Um, and I actually wrongly assume that you can actually offset your capital losses with your income, and you can't do that. You can only offset your capital losses on future potential capital gains, and that can be any time in the future unlimited number of years ahead of time. Now, what can you do to spread the message? Well, you can subscribe to this channel on castbox.fm or Google Podcast or Spotify. Just Google Devraga Personal Finance in Google. You should be able to get most of the stuff from the search engine. You can also listen online at devraga.com. Um, and remember the Facebook page, Devraga Personal Finance. Like it, share it, comment on it, and of course, message me on it. Uh, and I really appreciate the feedback uh, that I've received so far about the Facebook page and the episodes uh, that I've posted on it. Now, feel free to ask as many questions as you'd like in the public forum, but I know most people choose to go private, which is completely fine with me. It's a personal matter and everything is kept anonymous. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, guys and girls, or planner or accountant. Make sure before you do something important with your money, ask the professionals. And I'm just a random doctor that's basically talking about personal finance on podcast 
uh, apps. You know, this podcast episode and channel is purely for entertainment and education purpose only, and I'm not providing any personalized financial advice. How could I? I don't know you. I don't know your personal financial situation. Now, the other thing is I won't be doing an episode for probably another two or three weeks. Um, it's just been an absolutely crazy busy Christmas New Year. So I'm going to take some time off. Um, so I'll see you all when I get back from a bit of rest and relaxation. Until next time, learn about capital gains and capital losses when it gets triggered. And remember, always, always, always pay yourself first and stay safe. This is Dev Raga, Personal Finance, Episode 64, signing off and wishing all of you a very, very happy new year. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.